Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I am your host, Josh Scar, and joining me this week is Alex. Alex, how you doing? Pretty good on this fine day. It's actually raining out right now, which is really nice. It's one of those, it's raining, but the sun is out. I love those. Those are fun. That's when you get the rainbows. (laughs) That's like a saying in Spanish. I'm sorry I had to put in, but like... (laughs) They say that uh, a bruja se está casando, so that means like a witch is getting married uh, when it's when it's raining and sunny at the same time. So I haven't heard that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you just heard, barging his way in here, uh, you know him from the No on Fifteen All Cast. We got your boy Seven C's, or as I like to call him, Caesar. Caesar, how you doing? Good man. I'm honored to be here on the show. Uh, can't wait to get into this this episode. And uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, glad to finally have you Should on. This is kind of like a, an epilogue to our uh, month-long MCU binge. For real, <laughs> it is. It's like a, a closing chapter. <laughs> for now. <laughs> yeah, for now. <laughs> so yeah, tell us a little bit about your podcast before we move on. Uh, Sure, man. I mean, like, it's, you know, we do stuff from the 80s, 90s, and, you know, like, like you just mentioned, some contemporary stuff, like we just did the MCU uh, series. And uh, yeah, most of our shows are in series. So every month we usually have a different series and uh, stay on that genre or whatever we're talking about. So it's, it's usually a rotating cast like you have, you know, in a way of uh, guests. Um, had co-hosts for a while, but yeah, you know how that goes. Oh, in yeah. The podcast world. <laughs> so. Alex is the only one that stuck around for me for some reason. I don't know what he what he thinks he's <laughs> getting out of this relationship joy (laughs) (laughs) oh it's commitment (laughs) (laughs) oh that's nice but so when you say when you call it the all cast what does that mean the all cast is for everyone so in a way like early on in the in the show like especially season one there was a lot of different types of episodes so we we had like a series where it's just comics or it was another series that was like video games and another series um where i talked to like a boxer and we're just talking about boxing you know and initially that's what it was just like everything also wanted it to be all inclusive in a way so you know kind of like the whole the whole meaning behind the podcast the noir 15 goes back to the movie the revenge of the nerds where uh they wanted a fraternity and everyone didn't want them to be part of like the larger you know fraternity in the the group in that movie so uh you know just being all inclusive and you know doing nerd stuff so that's pretty pretty much it well, I'm just downloading episode, season three, episode 21, Independence Day, Interesting Facts, writing solo, solo volume one. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> there's some weird shit in there, man. Like when you look up uh, info on that movie. So yeah, it's, it's just it's such a comfort movie for me that yeah. it's, it's it's in the rotation, like um, Hunt for the Red October, uh, Independence Day, um, Atlantis, the uh, Disney one. Um, mm. Emperor's New Groove. It just has that. It, there's just the, the cycle of movies that are just pure comfort and enjoyment. It can just pop in any time and just, mm. you know, leave satisfied. Yeah, those are the good popcorn flicks. A goofy movie's in there for me, too. Ah, uh, yeah. Shout out to my boy Antonio. So we're going to hear from Decaying with the boys here. Uh, We'll get a quick ad spot from them. And then we're going to jump into our thoughts on Thor Love and Thunder. We'll be right back. Oh, actually, no, sorry. 
Um, <laughs> I forgot to mention, this is our 52nd episode. So Caesar, you're kind of here with a, a momentous occasion as we have officially produced a year's worth of content. It's only taken us four plus years to get here, but we've done it. <laughs> Thanks everyone nice. for listening. Uh, most people have listened for probably about 20, no, 30, about 30 episodes. I think we came back on episode like 21 or 22. So we've produced about 30 episodes and since uh, November of last year. So thanks to everyone who has listened and who has gone back to listen to those very, very uh, not great episodes <laughs> from 2017 <laughs> and 2018. I am so sorry about my Game of Thrones predictions. <laughs> <laughs> I still need to cut up our uh, last Jedi review because I want to. I want to go back and listen to some of those Alex thoughts compared to what he has now. We'll 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 figure that sort of thing out later. But uh, again, thanks to everyone who has listened, and uh, thanks to everyone who has had me on their podcast and just made this whole thing wonderful. Caesar, you especially, you're, I kind of view you as like our podcast godfather as a way because uh, you got uh, <laughs> Special K and Matt doing their podcast, which kind of reignited that podcasting flame in me. So, uh, yeah, I kind of thank you for that, which makes it more special to have you here, too. Oh, man, most, most definitely. That's awesome. well, we're going to hear from Decaying with the Boys. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Jojitorium. It's Decaying with the Boys. That's right. It's Matt. It's Adam. Two comedic co-hosts that talk about what they love. Beers, combat sports, pop culture, horror movies, and whatever else we want. So subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to catch new episodes dropping every Sunday morning. And we are back to talk about Thor, Love and Thunder. And I'm going to pull up the box office really quick here because we have those numbers. Uh, I believe it is projected to finish out the weekend at about $145 million over the weekend domestic. Uh, 143 and then it's already they're projecting 302 million worldwide so it's a big opening i believe it's top five or top six all time for marvel which uh with with the subject matter of the mighty thor being in there i'm not shocked to me we'll see what really the true testament of this movie is going to be in the second weekend we're going to go heavy spoilers to start this because um as much of an MCU shill as I am, I really did not enjoy this movie. Caesar, did you enjoy this movie? Uh, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no. Oh man, a, a preface. Okay. <laughs> I think there's two different like combat. Like watching the film. There's there was a point where I was like, you know what? Let me just let myself enjoy it. The the other part of me is because I read that actual storyline in the comics and I remember what happened and the way it happened. So it was like battling that in my mind. And that, and that was one of the things where I, I think I was watching with my buddy Oscar, uh, who comes out sometimes on the show. Like and I was like, I told him, I was like, this is one of those times I wish I'd never read the comic. And that's what kind of kind of got me uh, while watching it. I love Taika and I like I love his comedy and his humor, but I get, you know, I can get it. I, I, and I totally can see where, you know, some people didn't like it. Uh, yeah, I'm interested to see why you guys, uh, you know, didn't enjoy it, too. Alex, your initial thoughts? My initial impression is that I, I enjoyed the action. I enjoyed the color palette. I enjoyed gore. I enjoyed... Uh, Mighty Thor. 
I didn't enjoy everything else. <laughs> that is my main problem is that we'll get into the story, but basically this movie should have happened before Infinity War and Endgame because the character development after that doesn't make sense for the character of Thor that we were given. I can see that. Yeah, we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, let's let's start with just talking about the characters. We've got uh, we've got Thor. We've got Jane Foster, aka the Mighty Thor. Uh, we've got who else? Valkyrie, I guess, would be the next lead. Then you've got Gore as the villain. You got Korg. Those are like our five main characters here. Um, we have a couple of other cameos that we'll talk about here in a little bit, or just like minor roles. But let's let's start with Thor. H- uh, how did everyone feel about Thor's representation in this movie? I don't know if Alex wants to go first. Sure. Okay. <laughs> My issue with Thor is that when we last left him, he it was after Endgame, and he'd already gone through this arc between um, Infinity War and Endgame, where he was, where he lost Loki, he lost his hammer, he got Stormbreaker, he was pulled in, he was pulled into this, you know, to the scene where he had to help fight Thanos. He cut off. He didn't go for the head. He's a broken man and his character arc. And then Endgame is that he has to do all these time traveler traveling. He, f- he meets his mother again after not being able to tell her, you know, he's sorry and all those, all the stuff that involved her death. She of course knows he's from a different, t- different timeline. She loves him. She tells him that, you know, she, of course he's worthy. He sticks out his hand. He gets Mjolnir back and he's like, of course I'm still worthy pops in fights thanos great captain america moment where they're trading blows together they're fighting together thanos is defeated thor is redeemed and then we start this movie with thor not redeemed he's sulky he's broy he's an idiot he's not fighting letting all these people die of this palace or this you know this sacred temple and then he shows up in the battlefield, and I hated that moment where he whips off his cloak and th- basically it ends up in the high, re- like throwing it in his cloak in the Pope's face. Goes into the battlefield, does a cool, some cool m- fighting. I was like, okay, cool, and then destroys their sacred palace. And I'm like, what is this character? What is this? Di- where did what happened between I am worthy, I've earned back Mjolnir, to this? And then it just keeps escalating throughout the film of now he's unconfident and stupid and way too many weird moments between him and Mighty Thor of like, I can't talk to somebody where his character reg- like regressed a full like nine years to where he's worse than the original Thor movie. That is like took so much of my enjoyment out of it because I was like, the last time I saw you, you were worthy, you were powerful, you had earned your respect, you had made peace with your mother, you had redeemed yourself, and now all of a sudden you jumped back 15 years of character development. I can agree with part of that. I don't know if it's that big of a jump backwards, but I do feel like they did uh, kind of just not acknowledge the growth that happened in Endgame. He he clearly is trying to do some like Captain America style speeches that just don't quite work because he's a big himbo and uh, the way he's trying to uh, not self-congratulate, but um, make make himself feel better, like give himself a little ego boost because of this depression that he's still dealing with, where he's like another classic Thor adventure. 
it was, the first time it was a funny bit because again, he, he destroyed a giant temple and he, he saved the day, but it wasn't in the most eloquent way. It's just like classic. Uh, but then they, they did it like two or three more times and it's like, eh, like I get again that he's trying to reaffirm himself, but it's, it's not working for me in, in a way. Um, I did enjoy a lot of the humor in this movie, but that was one of the things that I think if it was just a, a one-off, it would have been a lot better. As far as his character, um, I really didn't quite get the the idea of him having this weird ex-girlfriend relationship between Stormbreaker and Mjolnir. Like it was funny in concept, mm. but making them temperamental and using it as like a MacGuffin to get them on the boat to get them to ride the goats, I felt was a little weird. Like just have Stormbreaker be attached to his mental state because Jane's there. Like don't make Stormbreaker be a weird clingy new girlfriend. It kind of undermines what the entire plot of infinity war was to get this ax. Yeah, that's true. Now I think part of that, uh, just kind of reflecting on the character in this iteration of his story like i feel some of it is because he's with the guardians at the beginning so it's almost like expected for something stupid to happen because i feel like that's just part of their universe and that there's always something goofy happening when they do stuff so i'm not sure if that's part of like leading into whatever they're going to do obviously with the guardians next and that may be the only reason to explain why he's acting so goofy uh at the beginning but I, I get what you guys mean. Like it just kind of keeps going on and on. I think maybe that story element of a girlfriend and a boyfriend is kind of muddled uh, along with everything else they're trying to tell at the same time. So that kind of becomes, I guess, annoying uh, while you're watching it. So and especially in in fact, when you're like trying to look into what's really going to happen next with the story, like with gore or where you might see little, uh, hints at other things that might happen in the MCU and characters and stuff like that. It kind of all gets muddled in a way uh, by that part of the story, I think. And touching quickly on the the Guardian stuff, like that's maybe 10 minutes of the movie. Uh, but when Thor is like having this really weird goodbye with Quill, which we've seen a little bit of in the trailers, and he's like, oh, I'll, I'll let you take my ship. Like that's some really weird denial that they've built into his depression because he knows that's not his ship. And it's, it really does not fit with the character, in my opinion. That that was a really cringe moment for me. I actually felt like the Guardians were weirdly, like, caricatures of themselves in a weird way. Like, Mantis trying to kill the goats at one point. I was like, that doesn't seem like something she, she'd do. Like, Nebula getting the guns to kill the goats. I was like, that makes sense. But Mantis, like, going after them, too. I'm like, that doesn't seem like her at all. And it didn't even seem like the Guardians wanted Thor there at all versus like the end of Endgame where he takes off with them and like everybody wants him there. But Peter, <laughs> well, he's yeah. worn out his welcome very clearly. And uh, yeah. like, uh, yeah, there and like you had mentioned earlier where he's just kind of like off meditating while everyone else is fighting that that doesn't seem like a worthy thing to me to just be like, I'll let them sort out their own things. Oh, they need me. OK, I guess I'll help. Like you could have saved a lot of lives if you just intervened to begin with. See, that's what I'm like getting from the comic. Like, cause the whole point of that kind of storyline is of, of humans asking the gods for help. Right. So is that what they're trying to 
implement in a way i mean it didn't did it work for me no but i'm just saying like is that is that what they were trying to do like take some of that story <laughs> you're just making me wistful for the comics man that that whole storyline <laughs> was so great that it first was. that first in- engagement with gore where young Completely thor meets up with him in the cave man that was so good yeah, i was waiting for that i thought i thought they were gonna do that but no they didn't go that way out so that would have been yeah, good we got a couple allusions to things in the comics. Like we saw the the gods being hung by the butcher hooks, and then we saw uh, the one giant dog dragon thing dead, uh, like we saw in the trailers. But that was kind of it for the the comic comparisons, really. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, they didn't even really show. Uh, well, I guess they kind of explained it off how how he got the necro sword at the beginning, but. Um, they didn't really show that, you know, that, that panel would have been dope to see. I was hoping they would have kind of like just shoot down from the top and show just that panel. Uh, that would have been great. Yeah. And speaking of the comics, like, like you were saying when you, you had to like turn that part of your brain off, that, that is something that really needed to, they, that that's the difference between comics and the movie where comics are long form storytelling mechanics. So you, you have to wait month to month or if it's a bi-monthly move uh, book, you only have to wait a couple of weeks, but uh, it, it's still a long form storytelling mechanic, like a TV show. Whereas this is trying to tell a movie in roughly a hundred minutes to 120 minutes, maybe 140 minutes. If you get uh, a lot of story packed in uh, this movie to me felt like they took a lot of the story out and that really hampered a lot of my enjoyment too, because it really felt like there was the overarching narrative with we need to stop gore, which that also felt kind of jarring, but there were a bunch of half stories told that just never felt like they went anywhere other than what we got with Jane and gore. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Jane. Um, Caesar, I'll let you, you go first. What did you think of the mighty Thor? It was good, man. I like Jane. I like Jane's character. And I think, I wish they would have just really show that whole scene, but then they just kind of cut to black when she's on the new uh, Asgard and, uh, you know, goes and looks at the display of Mjolnir broken in pieces. And, you know, she realizes after doing a little bit of research, you know, that she's sick and everything, and maybe this might help her stay healthy. You kind of do get a backstory of that. Like when Thor told, you know, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but when Thor told Mjolnir to keep her safe, uh, kind of thing, and, and that's kind of explaining how she was able to get it. But other than that, I don't know if that did it. It kind of paid off at the end, I guess. Her character, I don't know. What do you guys think? So I'm, I'm going to jump ahead of you here, Alex, because I have two thoughts which Caesar kind of touched on here. Uh, I feel like they undermined Jane's worthiness twice, and both of those times you kind of mentioned once where she's reading a book and she sees Mjolnir, science, magic, healing, whatever, strength. And she has cancer in this, like she does in the comics. They don't really ever discuss like what kind of cancers, like it's phase, it's uh fourth degree. I, I forget. Stage the four, yeah. Stage four. Yeah. Sorry. I'm so sorry for not remembering <laughs> that. Um, yeah. It's stage four cancer. They just never really mentioned what kind of cancer. So she's like trying to experiment on herself to see if she can't figure out a cure and then she feels something in one of her Norse mythology books kind of glows at her. And she's like, oh, Mjolnir, maybe that can maybe that can heal me. And in the comics, again, it, it's not fair really to compare it to the comics. But in terms of like what they're trying to do with the mighty Thor, 
she's supposed to be worthy because she's refusing Asgardian magic because Asgardian magic could probably heal her, her sickness. And then in the comics, she, she refuses it and she's going to take her treatment. And that's kind of what makes her worthy is because she knows after a while that as she transforms into the mighty Thor, it completely undoes any of her chemotherapy. So she's back to square one with her cancer fight. And that's, that's a big overarching narrative in the comics. Whereas here she's just like, Hey, I'm six foot and buff and hot er, and, uh, <laughs> like I, I feel great, but every now and then I feel weak because the hammer's not stopping the sickness because plot, I guess. But, uh, in the comics again, once she's Thor, she, she is mostly fine. But again, what makes her worthy is the fact that she gives the hammer up until it's needed again. So in this, she just has the hammer because she thinks it's going to make her feel fine. And then she doesn't after a while. Uh, and then also, as Caesar mentioned, Thor kind of tells Mjolnir during a flashback. He's like, hey, protect your buddy. And then it gets an enchantment where he's Mjolnir is going to protect Jane, which Mjolnir consents that she's sick. So therefore, if she gets the powers of Thor, she can be a little bit better and be protected. So I feel like that undermines her worthiness in a way. See, I thought that actually that was kind of sweet. That's the way I took it. Is that um, it's like, okay, why is she worthy? We already know Cap's worthy because you know Cap is Cap. But then, like, why is she worthy? Like, what's going on? And I'm, and, and I was kind of looking for an, for an answer, and that the worthiness is from the love they had from each other. That you know they were together. There was a love. It's uh, Thor says it's the, you know he's been alive for like fifty five hundred years or something like that. But this is the one time he's been actually in love, and that he wants Mjolnir to protect her, and that even though they're separated and Mjolnir was crushed, that it could still sense this love lingering between them and her needing the protection and guidance of of Mjolnir. I thought that was actually really sweet that then she finds the hammer and that she is then infused with this power to become a protector. And, and, and it's, it's, they, uh, um, uh, Valkyrie suggests that when Thor shows up to fight Gore uh, or whatever was happening in New Asgard and Thor sees mighty Thor briefly, Valkyrie suggests she's been doing this for a while. Like, oh, yeah, you're going to love this, you know. So that, to me, I actually liked that. It's that she finds this bit of hope to feel strong, to feel, feel powerful, to feel a protector, and be battling this stuff on Earth while Thor's off being whatever he was doing with the Guardians. I actually really liked that because it was, because that was what, the, to me, that was what the movie was trying to say was that these two people still love each other and now they're finding the time for each other again. And so I didn't think that undermined her. I thought that was actually just a, you know, a, a, a beautiful in-story mechanic of why she's worthy. She's worthy because they're bonded together and Mjolnir will bring them together. In a vacuum, I can definitely see that. I'm not trying to say your point is invalid. It's definitely not. Um, coming from the comics is, is where I'm kind of going with all that. Um, I, I liked a lot of what you said just there. It, it makes a lot of sense, especially within the context of the story. Maybe if we had a little bit more context from that, that maybe that could have been a, a much smaller nitpick for me. Yeah, it's kind of like a subplot, right? 
at the same time of, you know, the main theme of trying to get the God Butcher and warn everyone what's happening. And I think that's, that's the only thing maybe to me, that, that part of it, as good as it was, it might have taken away from the main story. And that might have also, you know, contributed to it if if you didn't enjoy uh, the movie. Um, yeah, it, this movie definitely feels like it's a Jane Foster movie, which is why I think maybe this should have been two parts where we kind of get to know Jane as the Mighty Thor, and then we get where we go with the climax of the movie. But I don't know if Marvel really ever wanted this movie to be more than just a standalone, um, or maybe maybe Natalie Portman didn't want to come back for a two parter or film a two parter. Who knows? But I, I do think that they did the story a disservice by making it just one singular story. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Gore, uh, our villain of the movie, uh, the God Butcher. He is an alien who uh, has decided that all gods must die because his gods have kind of forsaken his people. Uh, he and his daughter are introduced very like immediately in the movie and his daughter dies as they're trying to find water i guess or i I really don't remember what they were trying to do they're praying for water because it's been like desolate there for so long they're searching for water and they live on tatooine or something and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh after gore's daughter dies he eventually comes upon an oasis where their god is just kind of having a party having a big orgy or something with some flowers and uh, his God is just completely disgusted by his presence. And that's when Gore kind of realizes that gods are assholes and he gets imbued with the necro sword and goes on a big killing spree. So what did we think of Christian Bale's portrayal as Gore? Alex, we'll start with you, man. That was a creepy mofo. <laughs> like that nice, like, seven eight minute cold open of him walking across the salt flats and praying and then the oasis and i eh, the new asgard scene was fine but what sold it for me was him hanging out after capturing all the asgardian children and putting them in the cage him chilling with them and trying to like get reactions out of them and to just acting like a psychopath i was like this dude's creeping me out. The, 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 the lighting of it, the, the bleeding, like the ooze is leaking from his mouth, the glowing eyes, the kids just being horrified. I was, and I was like, I, I'm like, all right, okay, I'm, I'm on board here. This guy could be really good. I, I really dig this right now. He just worked for me. Caesar, what did you think? Yeah, man, I love Christian Bell. So seeing him kind of uh, just throw himself into a character the way he did with gore again like we can nitpick the comic booky stuff you know like a lot of people were upset he didn't look more alien um i get it he's a he's an actor though and i'm sure his agent was like we got to see his face that's always the excuse uh <laughs> but dude i would have loved it to be darker but i know it's a marvel movie and i know uh, my buddy i saw it with as well as like i kind of try to explain to him because he didn't have any um you know, deeper knowledge about the character before. And I was like, yeah, his powers, you know, are in the shadows. So he was complaining that some of the CGI looked kind of funky because it was so dark and they were trying to compensate, you know, because of that. But um, I think that's just part of the character. And I think um, the way Christian Bale portrayed it and gave it life, understanding where that character comes from and then understanding what he's trying to do 
it, it's pretty crazy. So just to kind of see it all kind of come to fruition and then uh, the change that happens later on, you know, it's pretty cool to see too. I agree. I didn't necessarily care that he didn't look more comic accurate. Um, I like the idea that the Necrosword corrupted him to the point where his skin was pale uh, instead of him just being pale. Uh, it makes a lot of sense that he wouldn't just be bleach white on a desert planet. Um, if anything, they would adapt to have darker colored skin so they wouldn't burn. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of like that where even even as a Caucasian looking person, he's at least darker skin than bleach white skin. The performance I, I didn't get a whole lot out of. It did feel a little Voldemorty to me a little bit where um, he it just it felt a lot like the the last Harry Potter movie. And that's maybe a little bit of an actor choice, maybe a little bit of a, a director directing. Uh, but overall, I thought the performance was fine. Uh, but the again, the movie is more uh, feels more like it's about Jane than it is about Gore. Gore just kind of feels like the the grease on the wheels to kind of keep the movie the story going forward uh but he's also maybe got 20 minutes of screen time in the movie like he doesn't have a lot uh, of screen time there's just entire sequences where he's just gone five scenes he's maybe in total but when he's there it's pretty damn good yeah the scene in the shadow realm is fantastic i love the the way they played with the colors there where like stormbreaker and mjolnir kind of give a little bit of light so like the shoulders light up a little bit um, I think the lightning bolt that they stole from Zeus gave a little bit of radiance as well. You can see most of that sequence in some of the trailers too. So it's not like uh, we're spoiling anything there, but it's, it's, it's a really cool little concept that they, they delivered yeah. on with that. And that's like the middle conflict. That's, that's the, uh, the point in the hero's journey where like all hope is lost and then they have to come back for the final fight, which I thought that was going to be the final fight, the way they kept showing it off in the trailers. That that black and going black and white just to me like screams like old Shakespearean epic like you know story, which is what kind of happened in that scene. You know, it kind of shot me back to seeing stuff like that. You know, black and white and yeah, I, I know what you guys are saying. Like it's like you're saying, Josh. You know, is the grease uh, that kind of kept the plot going forward because it is more about Jane. But I, I understand Alex too saying you know he enjoyed it every time he was on the screen because he kind of lit it up and. The, that's my only my only thing about that was I wish it was a little darker, like the character itself, because he seemed a little more playful, you know, and I, I get it. It's probably because, you know, you have kids watching this movie, but also because there's kids at, that he's interacting with. Yeah, he was almost more like Loki in Avengers, I think, where he's he's willing to go to that murder line, but they're going to pull back a little bit just because, again, they're trying to appeal to a wide audience and kids and everything. So it, it definitely doesn't go as as hard as the comics could. But again, they're, I don't expect Marvel ever to really go that hard on anything, at least not on screen. That fight scene at the end with the kids being imbued with the power of Thor was amazing. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I was giggling so happily. And there, there was actually a good moment for Thor actually having some character development. He has to use the kids briefly to help fight Gore. And he's like, okay, all who are here worthy at this moment will be imbued with the power of Thor temporarily. <laughs> so they're not all given this power. And then they have that one little girl who has a bunny who's like, everyone else picked up like a rock and like pieces of rubble. She has her stuffed animal bunny. And then she's using to shoot lightning bolts out of her eyes to kill shadow creatures. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. It reminded me a bit of uh, Ant-Man in the um, 
uh, Thomas the Train Engine fight, where just <laughs> yes. these playful little things going after it, and then the little girl with a bunny just running around with lightning bolts. Yeah, <laughs> that was good. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Valkyrie, um, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit more about like little segments like uh, the uh, omni- omnipotent city and stuff like that. Um, what really disappointed me about this part of the movie is the fact that when they announced Thor love and thunder and that they're, they're going to adapt the mighty Thor story is before they introduced Jane, uh, Natalie Portman as Jane Foster. Again, they were talking about how Valkyrie is now King of Asgard and what is a King without a queen. So her story is going to be searching for her queen. That story was dropped almost immediately. And that really bothered me. Like she kisses the one uh, Zusette's hand, I believe is how they're credited. Uh, she does like a little bit of a Robin Hood thing, but then she has like one little semi drunken moment with Korg where she's talking about how her her last girlfriend died battling Hela. And then it's never brought up again or mentioned anywhere else in the movie. <laughs> Just, that just made me remember the whole make make you find someone that makes you feel shitty. Uh, is, is, <laughs> what they, they, Chris Pratt told them at the beginning. So, and it kind of goes throughout the movie. You know, um, look, don't get me wrong, like listeners, it, I feel like it is a fun movie, but you will like if, if you know some of the story and you you have a comic background, you will like find things to nitpick about it for sure. And uh, I think that's like I, I get that part for like Valkyrie. I feel like. Um, she kind of took a step back and was just similar to what happened towards the end of Thor Ragnarok. She was just kind of had little quips with, you know, um, Mark Ruffalo's character. And that that was kind of happening as well, like towards the end. Like, well, I feel like more, even more throughout this film than before. Just almost like just a side character. And they really didn't build upon, you know, her kingdom at all and what she was doing. I mean, you get like some of the funny stuff you see with like the Old Spice commercials when you get there, and it's like a touristy spot when you get there and all that stuff, which was funny to, to see Matt Damon in there again, uh, you know, to do that. But yeah, he got almost as much screen time as Gore. It feels like, <laughs> yeah, I, that they came back during the time of crisis to ask if they could put on a play. I was like, oh, Matt Damon's back. <laughs> <laughs> this is weird, but yeah, actually, the funny thing is so. That new Asgard is now a like carnival cruise ship destination made me laugh so hard because on my honeymoon we we did a cruise and we went to um, Northern Ireland, Ireland, and Iceland, and pulled into some of like the smaller you know the smaller cities in Iceland, and there being like multiple just giant cruise ships out there, I was like. Oh my gosh, it's so true. <laughs> this would be a destination. There would be couples here. There would be honeymoons and children. And yes, I would like to take a ride on the flying Asgardian boat, please. I almost pay the $10. <laughs> but at the same time, I did feel a little bad that like Valkyrie was reduced to doing publicity photos and stuff as King of Asgard. I was like, oof. It's a little, it's a little sad, but she still pulled off the character. I thought it went well. I just wish she would given was given a little bit more to do, especially with the promise that you know she would be looking for a queen, and that really didn't happen. Um, instead, it was, um, it seemed like, to speaking of Gore being like Loki in um, 
Thor Ragnarok, Loki did the head touch thing to make her hurt over seeing all the Valkyries dead, dying, or fighting Hela. He was like, oh, that, you're a Valkyrie, and this must be painful memories. And then Gore, when he captured them all on the shadow plane, he did the exact same thing to Valkyrie. He's like, oh my gosh, love, you've been hurt by the gods. When, um, when uh, not Heimdall, what's her dad's name? Sif? No, the dad, uh, Odin. When Odin sent all of you, all you Valkyries, all your sisters and lovers to go die fighting Hela, and yet you still worship him as a god. I was like, this is the exact same thing. She's just being, the death of her lovers is just being thrown in her face again. Loki just did that one movie ago. So I, like, I, I would have liked to see her character like take one of the Zeus sets or one of the Zeus pretty boys and take them onto the ship and be like, well, my ship is called Cocktails and Dreams. I'm bringing some people with me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would have been you know interesting to see. Overall, I I do think that Tessa Thompson has a good feel for the character. Again, it just feels like she's kind of getting the short end of the stick because there she there's so much so much focus on other things going on. Like with Ragnarok, it was oh well, we've got the Hulk in this movie, so we've got to make sure we give Ruffalo enough to do. And then in this one, it was we've got Natalie Portman back as the Mighty Thor. We've got to make sure we give her enough to do. And we've also cut this movie down to under two hours. So there's not a lot for her to do anymore. Uh, so she's just going to kind of have fun and be a little bit of a Robin Hood kind of character. You know, I got to do I, I do have to mention one thing. Like I was really hoping while watching this that when he kidnapped the kids that he was going to take them to a planet to build the God bomb. I, I was really hoping that's what I was going to see. But uh, yeah, they, they totally went a different way with it. But I thought that would have been cool to see too. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about the ending because there's a big tease in the ending that uh, has me a little bit excited towards what they might be building uh, for the big Avengers reassembled in uh, Phase Five here. So we get to the conclusion of the movie where Jane Foster is basically completely knocked out by her cancer. She's if she transforms one more time, she's not going to be able to transform back. She's not going to make it. So Thor's begging her to stay as Jane Foster, take her treatments and just fight the good fight and see if she can survive. And he's going to go fight Gore on his own. He saves the kids. They do the whole lightning bolt thing. And uh, Jane picks up the hammer, which is straight out of the comics as she's lying in her bed. And she comes back as the mighty Thor, which admittedly, that's probably my favorite part of the movie when uh, Gore calls her Lady Thor and she just gets all pissed off. And she's like, one, it's the mighty Thor. Two, it's Dr. Jane Foster, if that's not good enough for you. And three, suck on this hammer or something to that effect. <laughs> like, I love that moment. That was really well delivered. And as someone who just cringes when people call her Lady Thor, I, I really appreciated that moment. But the the final fight actually goes a completely different way where Gore actually opens up the gates to eternity. And the idea is the first person to ever get to eternity, which is an entity within the, the universe, mm -hmm. uh, they get a wish granted. And in this moment, uh, once Gore opens up the gate, which is a plot point I want to bring up later. Eternity did look cool though. I have to say that. Yes. Eternity looked awesome. Like straight out of the comics. Um, Gore is about to wish for all the gods to die instead of doing the God Bob thing from the comics. And Thor's like, okay, well, you, you've got there first. You're going to get your wish. I'm going to go spend the rest of the time that I potentially have with the person I love the most, which is Jane. 
who is also dying. And there's this really quick turn where gorgeous is like, um, okay, well, I guess I want my daughter back instead of killing all the gods. And now I'm going to die and leave her to die or leave her to live a life alone. And that, that part kind of bothered me because I can't understand the motivation of better for her to live without her father than to me live and die without her. It it is a really weird motivation that I just did not understand. I see what you're saying. Cause like, what's the point of bringing her back just to die? Like he gets to say goodbye one more time and it's him that dies this time, but and he's dying because the necro sword is the dark hold from Dr. Strange. Uh, he, the, the wielder gets corrupted and then eventually dies because of the corruption. I guess redemption for the character was probably thinking behind it. Right. Um, you know, he did all this horrible shit. Like, <laughs> like he's trying to redeem <laughs> himself in the eyes of his daughter or something. Cause yeah, he does get, I, I really, get I really goodbye, don't but... get that one. Yeah. It is, I, I see. It is weird. Yeah. Yeah, there's never a moment in the movie where he's like, I, if I could just see her again or my like he's he's not like lingering over the loss of his daughter because the gods could have helped him. He's pissed because the gods didn't help him and that's his motivation for killing them. But never in the movie are we ever introduced to the idea of like, oh, well, why doesn't he just wish his daughter back to life and he can be happy again? Like, Yeah, that's true. OK, I mean, there. <laughs> That that's kind of like hanging a lantern on it a little bit, but it it just it did not work for me. I I did not understand it. I I've been trying to think of like that. Like, I'm trying to remember like Thor walks in, Jane's there. Jane uh, Jane's become reverted from Mighty Thor to Jane, and she's dying. Thor's like, "Hey, you won," and Gore's like, "Hey, don't you want to beg me for your life in these few moments?" He's like, "No, I'm gonna go hang out with Jane." He and you know Jane and him share some moments as Jane's dying, and in that moment, Gore supposed to be like, "Oh my God, th- this God is kind of okay," but we never get that. Yeah, and then he makes the wish. He basically starts dying in his daughter's arms. Jane dies, turns to dust, and then Gore says, "Take care of her," and dies. Fo- that is weird. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, he just he's just like, "Oh, I'm dead. Take care of my daughter, Thor." That's part of the the problem, I think, with the story. If you've lived, obviously, again, if we go back to reference the comics, like you lived these eons because of the sword and killed all these gods. I would think you would have that epiphany a lot sooner than what occurred in the film. And I think that's probably what we're seeing, you know, and that's probably why it's so weird uh, when you look in, and think into it a little more deeply. If you abandon your critical thinking, you'll enjoy it and say, oh, yeah, you know, he just, uh, uh, you know, he enjoyed uh, like those final moments with his daughter. And yeah, that's where we get the the title of the movie from. <laughs> it is. It is odd for sure. It, it's but yeah, it, that that's probably one of the the two big things that really make me go. Why was this cut under two hours? Because, again, we never we never see that conflicted nature of gore ever. So he him kidnapping the children is a means to an end to get Thor to bring Stormbreaker to his shadow realm, which is just a big moon. And which, again, we we thought would be the God bomb for those of us who have read the comics wasn't. It was just a weird base of operations where he had all his plans laid out like a crazy person. And then 
he he gets Stormbreaker before uh, Thor takes everyone back to New Asgard. And again, it, nothing in Gore's motivation. Like I feel like they wanted to kind of make him the Joker with his limited screen time, but they just the Joker works because he's insane and spontaneous where Gore, like he's methodical, he's vengeful. He has purpose and his purpose is to kill all the gods. But then out of nowhere, he's like, Oh, Thor doesn't care if he dies, even though there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions more gods out there for me to kill. Well, if he's okay, then I guess all gods don't have to die. But again, we don't get any of that processing. It's immediate. Jane says, you don't have to, you don't have to not, your daughter doesn't have to stay dead essentially is what he, she tells him. And he's like, Oh yeah. And then it, it just kind of goes from there. It's almost a dude. I don't want to say it, but I don't want to even bring it up, but it's, it's the, it's the compounding of two different stories, like kind of coming together. It's like you, you said it, you know, there's the mighty Thor. And then you, the, the other story is like the God of thunder, which is that storyline, you know, with more of gore in it and stuff. So it's like those stories kind of, you know, compounding together and kind of causes those issues in the film. Um, but I mean, like, what did you did you have like a favorite moment in the film? Like, you know, besides like uh, my my favorite moment had to be where Jane says, don't call me Lady Thor. Essentially, she's I'm the mighty Thor. Um, if there's another moment that I would have to say is a favorite moment. um. I, I honestly have a hard time thinking of what else in this movie I really enjoyed. Uh, I liked I liked the walk and talk they did when they arrived at Omnipotent City where uh, Jane and Thor are having that conversation where she's like trying to think of some good one liners and uh, like that was really cute and fun. But I don't know that I would like it's a really innocuous moment, I feel like, to be like, oh, yeah, that was my favorite moment. Mm. Like, like I. I I could pick out like a dozen moments from the first Avenger or even Captain Marvel where I'm like, yeah, I enjoyed that moment. Whereas mm-hmm. this one, I'm like, I like the one part near the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Did, did anyone else catch that? Uh, Korg's God was sitting. Who's a rock God was sitting on an, uh, a throne made of scissors. What? That was also modeled after the Iron Throne from yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got us in there, and it's just a bunch of scissors. <laughs> I feel like that had to be Taika Waititi just throwing shade at everyone who's like, how would an alien race of rocks know what scissors are? Uh, it's Well, rock beats scissors. That's why. <laughs> there's like, a, in that scene, I think there's a subtle mention of Thor, like when he's mentioned some of the gods, right? And... He mentions, I think, Quetzalcoatl, who is like the Aztec god, which I'm sure, yeah, that was no for no not not a reason because you know we're getting Atlantis soon, and supposedly it's going to be played by Tenoch Huerta, who I think is a, like a Mexican actor, and uh, so I feel like they're kind of alluding, or maybe that's just kind of like a little Easter egg there that they kind of just I think it was mentioned. meant to be an Easter egg, yeah, because we also got um, Bost, the the god yep, of. Yep. Um, Wakanda. Uh, Wakanda, the Black Panther God, uh, sitting in front of Thor and Valkyrie and Jane and Korg. Um, she was, she's just there. I thought she'd have a bigger role because like in every shot that they have, like she's very prominently there. Like you see her, she's not cut off or anything. Uh, but nope, nothing came of that either. Just there is a little Easter egg. 
Um, but even that scene, like some of the things just didn't make sense. Like they had the, the bow God, like, is there an entire race of bow buns <laughs> or was yeah. this just like, like make it, I don't know. There's just so many things. I did like the creature designs of the uh, weird owl monsters from the, the, o- the opening battle sequence. Um, those guys were kind of funny. Uh, they kind yeah, of reminded me of weird. the skull kid from uh, Majora's Mask. Oh, yeah. They remind me of like those. Uh, uh, I feel like some of Jim Henson's goblins from like. Uh, yeah, Labyrinth, I was thinking that too from the something. Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah the guys like take <laughs> off their heads. Yep. Uh, such a better movie than this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Again, I I am an MCU shill, but man, I really did not enjoy this movie. Like I thought Eternals was a, a more coherent movie than this. And that movie was like 15 minutes too long. Yeah. Okay. okay. So. I, ha- I have a few concerns or, or questions necessarily about. About my state of mind or the movie. No, the, the movie. Uh, either omnipotent okay. or omniscience <laughs> or, or whatever the heck that the, the eternal god city is. Right? Omnipotent city. The omnipotent city. Okay, whatever. Don't care. Um, <laughs> that apparently they can all get to somehow because that's the way things work. Uh, even though Zeus eventually says they're hidden and now since you found us, anyone can find us. Whatever. Well, they can't let him go because if they let him go, then he can be tortured to reveal the location of the city. Right. Okay. So. It's not a weird Gamora plot hole where if I tell you that I know the location of the soul stone, then yeah, you'll I, know too, yeah, which I makes know. no it's sense. Just, it, I, I just, whatever it, it, it was like, whatever fighting needs to happen. Okay. I get it. Did anyone else laugh hysterically when, um, Russell Crowe decides to go down the steps and he's wearing, of course, the Greek little pleated uh, <laughs> thing and he grabs the edges of it and goes daintily down. <laughs> I love Russell Crowe, man. Yes. He just had me. Russell Crowe was like... going for it. Yeah, he was going. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed uh, so hard. I guess some people were mad about the accent he did, or I don't know. They had a, it was, they it had was a problem so over with the it, top. But... It, it was so ridiculous. I was okay with it. I was like, he's, he's a Greek god, right? So I guess he's trying to be like Greek. <laughs> Uh, yeah he's doing a horrible <laughs> over the top accent yeah I, I love that and you know you'll be disinvited from the orgy that's <laughs> <laughs> you're disinvited <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh did anyone did it, uh did, did you guys also catch the wonderful back tattoo that uh that thor has <laughs> as r.i.p loki across the back <laughs> and he's got loki's horns tattooed yeah. on his back yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought that was funny too i saw that uh, i laughed way too hard at that i mean there's good moments in the mo- yeah. movie it's just it's just a it's a, it was overall just a step back they also did that stupid thing i hate this and I, it's a issue that i also had with all the issues I have with guardians of the galaxy two is there's that moment towards the end where, um, uh, Kurt Russell is talking to Quill and he has Quill totally on his side. And then out of nowhere, he goes, it's a shame I had to give your mother cancer. And then Quill turns and starts shooting him. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of this movie, the God is talking to Gore, uh, Gore's God's talking to him. And he's like, well, you know, thank goodness. I killed that creature right there who has the one sword who can kill me. Right there, just laying on the ground. Haven't done anything about it, but it's right there, right within your grasp. But anyway, I'm going to mock you and just torture you. <laughs> it's like, why is it such just, it's just really poor moments of just absurd writing. 
with that moment, I took it more as like the arrogance of the God. Cause again, he's, he's antagonizing Gore because he does not care that his worshipers are gone. He can just go to another planet and get more. And Gore, like, I guess the Necrosword is kind of drawn towards rage towards the gods. So it, it kind of comes to him because he's being antagonized and like all this belief that he had is being destroyed. So, or all this faith, I guess would be the better word. Um, that's what I took that moment as, but I can see what you're saying. I don't think it's ne- necessarily as bad as ego outing himself as killing Quill's mom, but it, 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 I can see what you're getting at with it. Well, ego's a celestial, basically a god. He's doing the exact same thing. So two gods are just dicks who just, hey, listen, here's how I turn you against me really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a general audience person will enjoy the film because they might not have as much dearth of knowledge about the history of the characters or, you know, what the stories are derived from. But then like to someone who knows like the director and I love Taika, I said before, I love, you know, his comedy and his style and uh, even the, like the dialogues that he uses in a lot of his films are similar. Um, this one feels like he's trying to mask what's happening with the story with comedy. And I think that might be what, what the problem is too. I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like how many times do we get the goats throughout the film screaming like for no reason? Which um, admittedly I fucking laughed, but I was like, why does this Every keep time. happening? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to laugh because uh our guy Scotty, uh omnipresent in the podcast, but almost never on, uh, he does an amazing <laughs> goat scream. So um whenever those goats screamed, I was just like, Oh Scotty. <laughs> I laughed the first few times and then I was like, this is not funny. And then it became funny again. But um, the two people sitting next to me who I went with every time the goats screamed and I towards the middle, I was like, ah, I could just hear giggles. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I mean. Like, you're going to have fun watching it and laugh. But, you know, if you know, like about the stories, you're going to probably be like, eh, yeah. Uh, I think we're pretty close to wrapping up here, but I have yeah. one one big plot point that I want to want to get your your feelings on. So to open up the gates to eternity, Gore needs to get Stormbreaker because Stormbreaker has the ability to summon the power of the Bifrost. How the hell was anyone supposed to use or know to use the Bifrost before Stormbreaker or before the Bifrost existed on Asgard? Like, I know they said it's impossible to get there because you can get to the gate and no further because reasons. But like, even if someone knew that the Bifrost, say it's the giant orb with the needle on the top or something like on Asgard, are you supposed to be able to pinpoint shoot that thing directly at the gates until it's imbued with enough Bifrost energy? Like, this is a question my wife brought up, by the way, this I didn't even think of this. My wife no, brought it up true. now it's bothered me. It, it, it was it's a MacGuffin thing where they're just like, oh, we need an object for Gore to need from Thor. Oh, uh, Stormbreaker can use Bifrost power, so it needs Bifrost power. There we go. I, see, I was always assuming that the Bifrost was something that is like inherent to the magic of all of Asgard and that they built the device, you know, out of the Rainbow Bridge kind of thing to for and then placed a guardian like Heimdall there. To, prote- uh, to protect it and guide it, which is was his duty and job because of how dangerous the Biofrost it, the Bifrost is. So, I mean, I, I can always just see as the Biofrost is some ancient weapon technology thingy that's been around as long as eternity's been around. So that's why I kind of wrote it off as. It's almost, it's become a, an, an ability almost, right? 
because like Heimdall uses it in uh, Infinity War to send, uh, you know, Banner to Earth away from Thanos. Yeah, he's able to summon the dark magic to use the power of the Bifrost. But I, I feel like so that that plot point you're talking about, Josh. I feel like that's something you could have explained away if you would have done a scene with the archives on an omnipotent city and showing at some point that it was a prophecy that Gore found that showed that weapon that he needed to get to eternity. You know what I mean? Like that would have made sense. Like if you shot a scene like that and, and put that in there, the library and on omnipotent city, that was something that was definitely missing from this movie. That was yeah. from the comics where Gore just destroys everyone and everything and just reads up on as many gods as he can. So he can take out as many while he can or, get the idea for the God bomb or something like, yeah, there, there needed to be something more, uh, especially like to get to the library. I think that that could have padded a little bit more suspension of disbelief as to like how he knows about this. Obviously we're supposed to just assume that he's been doing this for millennia, which is fine. But again, like how does he know about the, the myth of the gates of eternity? Who knows? But there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about, which Caesar, maybe you have a little bit more to say about this than Alex might having read the comics as well. Um, but the teasing of singularity is what I was teasing earlier, where I, th- I think that's what's going on in, into phase five, where I think uh, Gore's daughter, who I think is also going to become singularity, which in the comics is kind of like eternity junior, for lack of a better word. Uh, among other things, she is absolutely adorable. I love her. Uh, she debuted in a force in the uh, secret wars spinoff. And then she was also in the a force comic that spun out of the conclusion of secret wars, uh, which, uh, was written by G Willow Wilson. So like when we see Gore's daughter resurrected, we come up from the waters that are surrounding eternity. And we see just this little girl who it looks like eternity. She's just a galaxy. And then we pan up further and we see, Oh, it's a little girl. Um, so I think singularity, even though she doesn't play a big role in secret wars, I think it'll, be adapted in a way where she will have a some kind of role. And I think, again, that is giving us breadcrumbs to Secret Wars being the phase five capper. Yeah, I agree, man. I thought you were going to mention the, the the after credit scene, too, with Hercules and the West Coast Avengers. <laughs> oh, yeah, with uh, Roy Kent as Hercules. <laughs> yeah, Roy, Roy Kiles. <laughs> he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where he's Roy Kent. <laughs> yeah someone actually screamed that in the theater when he came out i was like oh god were we in the same theater because i think that might have been me uh, <laughs> it's a ted lasso reference alex if you didn't get that one thank you <laughs> <laughs> i think that's definitely a possibility because they're gonna be introducing in phase five likely like fantastic four likely some of the x-men and instead of having like the Phoenix, you have the singularity. We've seen so much of the Phoenix already in live action that I feel like maybe they use something different, but similar in a way, uh, something that that's powerful in, in the singularity. So, I mean, that'd be really cool to see it, Yeah. Like breadcrumbs, man. I feel like we're getting all these breadcrumbs and hopefully this month, I guess, uh, Marvel's back at Comic-Con. So we should know more uh, of what we're actually going to get. But uh, like we've discussed before, when we we talked about all the Marvel stuff and we got into phase four and, you know, it's kind of difficult to gauge where they're going. And like someone the other day said, I think they're like halfway or something like that through phase four already. 
Um, I think we've got about a year's left of content for phase four. Maybe it caps out uh, in 2024, but I know Feige has already released a statement or tweeted out something. It's like, Hey, we're getting to the end of phase four. So we're going to start talking phase five stuff soon, which it, it doesn't feel like we're that far into phase four, but uh, I mean, they're, they're truncating a lot of stuff and they're pushing stuff out quickly, which uh, to the people complaining about the uh, CGI quality in, Marvel movies, among other things, they're pushing out so many movies. Uh, it's you're not going to get that refined quality that you're going to get from like an individual filmmaker who's putting his life and soul into this one movie. Feige's juggling like 20 different movies right now, including a Star Wars franchise that he may or may not end up doing. He, he's got so many other things. And again, Disney's got three to four movies a year coming out, plus now like three series at a time coming out like marvel is the the market is saturated if not oversaturated with marvel stuff so like i don't think expecting quality refinement like we were getting when we had iron man and one iron man movie a year and then maybe if we were lucky we got a second movie in that year so i i think that's part of the issue plus again there's 200 million dollars doesn't go the same way it did even 10 years ago. So I'm not trying to justify it. I, I did see a thing earlier where I guess Marvel is kind of a, a bitch to work with where they're they want it quick and fast. They don't necessarily care about quality, but they don't want to pay any more for it either. So take that what you will. And I don't know. I've seen the images of Heimdall's son going around and everyone's like, this came out of a $200 million movie. It's an astral projection, man. Of a kid it's that doesn't know like what he's the, doing yet. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's not meant to look good. And I saw another tweet earlier where some Snyderverse fanboy was like, look what they did to Hercules. This is Zack Snyder or Zeus. This is Zack Snyder's Zeus. Look at him looking like Leonidas from 300. Like, I don't give a shit what Zack Snyder wants out of his muscle bound steroid maniacs. I just want to have a good movie. Zack Snyder hasn't made a good movie since Dawn of the Dead. I, 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 really? Uh, wow. Um, did you not see that owl movie Movie he did? I like that owl movie. Can't even think oh, of Oh, Legends name of the Guardians. Movie. I forgot he did Owl Gowls of Gahul. Yeah, it was adorable. I love that movie. Yeah, that was, that was kind of like a... Is it not... Um, Oh God, I'm awful. It's not Dom DeLuise. Dom DeLuise is the actor. Who was the guy that did like the land before time? The first American tale. Um, Don Bluth. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was, it very much resonated like a Don Bluth movie, which uh, secret of Nim is another one just so people don't yell at me. Um, yeah. Don Bluth. It, it resonated very similarly to that, but yeah, Zack Snyder hasn't made a good movie still in like 20 years. Well, let's say 15. <laughs> he's making Dawn a new uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's he making now i think he's making like some his his like star wars or something yeah yeah he, he's making a star wars ripoff because he'll never get a star wars movie because he can't tell a story <laughs> but, i mean neither sounds can jj like abrams and he got two <laughs> it sounds like one of our vent sessions josh <laughs> <laughs> it is turning into that i think i've no. added like five minutes into this yeah, maybe. Yeah, again, your vent sessions. I'll I'll just save all my Snyderverse fanboy rage for that. Whenever, if I'm ever invited back, of course. <laughs> you tease, and I actually would like if you, 
if you want to put together an episode where you interview me with my quotes from the last Jedi to see if I've changed my opinion at all, at all, I would love to hear those and fight myself. (laughs) (laughs) Fight myself. (laughs) I don't want to go back and listen to that episode. I didn't edit that one because I wanted to try and get it out on like a reasonable amount of time. And I think it's like almost two hours long. I don't want to listen to that. Oh yeah, it was bad. Uh, to, all right, to go back, um, I, I had a question for the two of you that I haven't found a suitable 42. answer for. No, I don't think that's going to explain it. So, <clears throat> in Thor the yes. Dark World, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> in Thor the Dark World, Thor uh, 6 standout, Mjolnir can come across portals, time and space, and eventually finds him no matter where it is. In the past few movies, Thor has stuck his hand out and Stormbreaker flies across time and space and finds him no matter where he is. At one point in the Shadow Realm, uh, Mighty Thor throws Stormbreaker away and Thor brings him ba- brings it back after like five minutes across time and space it back to his hand. Gore briefly takes the hand, uh, takes Stormbreaker. Why doesn't Thor land and stick his hand out and Stormbreaker come back across time and space and land in his damn hand? I thought the same thing for a second, but then I realized... Uh... Plot? <laughs> plot and like they show gore his like hands from the shadow like holding it by force i think down onto the planet or something like that so that was like the only information in a way eh, i don't buy it if there was ever a payoff to the whole uh jealous girlfriend angle they were taking with the weapons i think that would be it is stormbreakers like oh well gore wants me and uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some weird thing where, like, if someone is holding on to Stormbreaker, it can't be summoned. I don't know. Uh, it, it's not imbued with uh, an enchantment like Mjolnir is. So I don't know. Plot is the authentic answer, but that's me also maybe trying to justify it. Okay. Because I was just like, I, I don't buy this. Yeah. Well, they also show him walking, like him walking away, dragging it. Yeah. So, I mean, he's dying, so he can't lift it like he's cap or anything like that. And they did mention the fact that uh, Stormbreaker should probably like destroy anyone who can't handle the power of it. Because I know uh, in Infinity War, when they're like, oh, hey, we should all get a a weapon like that to kill Thanos. And Thor's like, "Uh, you would all go insane from the power of it, which gore is already insane so eh. but yeah angry girlfriend that's the answer <laughs> okay final answer <laughs> all right let's wrap <laughs> lock it up. in <laughs> <laughs> I, I will write with you there alex though i, I really I, I thought that too i was like why isn't he just calling it but then i was like maybe it's just because of uh the shadow monsters helping him hold it back or something that that's the only thing I he's distracted of. by jane and whatnot who knows but yeah, angry girlfriend plot, all that sort of stuff. So last little thing that I, that I was thinking for the movie. Um, so one of mighty Thor's power is that since Mjolnir was broken apart, she can actually wield it and cause Mjolnir to throw shrapnel out and it kills people and comes all the way back, which is a badass power. Um, and ultimately they, they realize they need to defeat Gore by destroying the sword that he's holding uh, the God killer or whatever it's called. So they're fighting him. They, sh- uh, she's able to get the weapon. Like they're able to crack the weapon. And then she uses Mjolnir. It shatters all the pieces. And on the way back, Mjolnir collects all the pieces of the sword and it goes into back into Mjolnir. 
but Gore starts drawing the pieces out and she does this mighty move where she lifts, you know, Mjolnir into the, into the air, smashes it down, obliterates the weapon and obliterates Mjolnir seemingly again too. But at the end, Mjolnir is back together because Thor has it back in his possession and it's still all kind of broken. I actually thought that moment, I was actually disappointed to see Mjolnir was back together. I actually thought in that moment, it was basically she was making the decision that this power is killing me. This other sword is super powerful and being drawn together. I am releasing the power of Mjolnir to destroy it and releasing Mjolnir's power a hold over me and redestroying it. And that is why that would have been too much like the comics. Yeah. But then she was releasing the power. She reverts back to Jane. And that's what I thought was going to be the end of Mjolnir. Yeah, no, it, it would have been too poignant of a of a response or a, a story point in this movie, I think. And uh, again, it would have been too much like the comics because in the comics, she throws Mjolnir into the sun to stop uh, a raging monster from destroying Asgard. And that's when she starts going through the process. Although, spoiler alert for the comics, she survives. Uh, but Mjolnir is out of commission for a while because it's hanging out in the sun. But yeah, I, I think... I think that's probably the the main answer I could give you is the fact that uh, I think it would have made too much sense for this movie. Um, I I don't think they really thought about it that way. They just wanted to give Thor the hammer back because everyone loves Mjolnir and Stormbreaker needs to eventually go to Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, someday. Uh, okay. Yeah, I just I saw that moment because like he even gives her a look and like she does the superpower charge thing. Mjolnir's all shattered on the ground again. Gore stumbles off to go die, but then it turns out he's actually snuck into eternity. And I was like, wow, that was actually a very powerful moment. And then later on at the end of the movie, it's on his hip. And I'm like, what the? Oh, that sucks. So uh, before we go, we do have to give our rating on this movie. Caesar, if you're not, not familiar with it or for anyone who's listening for the first time, uh, we have two ratings. Uh, it's either must see or pass because nuance is dead on the internet. So <laughs> uh, it's either either it's it's the best thing ever. Or it's the worst thing ever. So um, uh, we just do must see or pass. So for me, this is a really rare MCU pass. Uh, I don't think that anything outside of the Jane Foster Thor stuff is really worth our time. And I don't know, at least right now, I don't know what this movie really did to advance the story of the MCU. Although I did, like I projected, I do think there's going to be something to do with the little girl that came back. Um, but Caesar, what did you think? Must see your pass. Uh, yeah, it's I'm with you, man. I think it's. Uh, if you're a fan, you're going to see it anyway. Um, but for me, yeah, it's a pass. You don't have to see this like at the theater. Uh, that's that's my opinion. You'll have fun if you watch it, um, but yeah, it's not like a must, not a must see. Alex, see it on Disney Plus in late August when they drop it there. <laughs> <laughs> that's not must see or pass. <laughs> pass it in theaters. Must see it on Disney Plus. <laughs> there you go. Okay, I'll allow it. All right, and with that, we will start wrapping up. Uh, Caesar, tell us again about your podcast and any social medias you'd like to share. 
Sure. So we're the No On 15 Allcast. Uh, you can find us at the No 15 Allcast on Twitter, Instagram, and yeah, we're, we're starting to do TikTok too. So uh, definitely can check out some of the dumb stuff we post on there. And uh, yeah, you know, we got a new series coming out. Uh, this month is going to be the Summer Of series where we did like three crossovers. One is with the Soul Wizard podcast. One is with the uh, Cutworthy podcast and one's with the your next favorite movie podcast so uh should be should be a pretty cool series and uh yeah that's what we got coming up alex you don't do social but you do do the news for our podcast on twitter and facebook you can follow us on twitter at talking smack pod you can follow me on twitter at josh underscore scar and you can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com you can like a great review on your favorite podcast player uh, we primarily see most of our activity on Apple, Spotify, and Good Pods. So definitely please drop a review or some kind words there. Or, you know, leave a one-star review and at least re- leave feedback because feedback is the most important thing to me. I don't really care if you enjoy the show or not. Um, I mean, I do care <laughs> if you enjoy the show. That's a horrible thing to say. Uh, I, I if you If you don't enjoy the show, that's fine. That's kind of what I mean but I would appreciate feedback as to what you didn't enjoy. Maybe it's just the fact that my voice is so monotone. I don't know. Uh, but let me know. Maybe I'll try and fix things. Maybe I'll start talking like this. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll do the episode in this voice. That's a pretty good Zeus. Uh, <laughs> I can do a little bit of a Marvin Martian. Where's the kaboom? There's supposed to be an enormous kaboom. <laughs> Where's the God bomb? Yeah. <laughs> Where's the God bomb? <laughs> Where's my dog? <laughs> oh. mm. Nice. He had a dog. I know. He did. Hey, and we did not mention Korg at all. So there you go. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Here, here's my, here's my talk about Korg. My wife hated him because... My wife hated him because he thought she thought he was mansplaining uh, the entire movie. So she's like, I already know all this shit. Like, you just get your Jodie Foster joke and move on. <laughs> Jane Jane Fonda. That, that's the one that made me laugh. I, like, what? <laughs> I, I like the name misinterpretations. I like yeah. that cross like like wire crossing for him. But uh, yeah, overall, like it, it, it wasn't as engaging or endearing as the first movie. Or I should say as Ragnarok. I get my question is where is he getting all of the pop culture from Earth? <laughs> like that he knows who Jane Fonda is. He Bond spent five years Bond. on Earth. Yeah, oh, that's right. He's he playing did. Fortnite. Yeah, that's right. So he got all his pop culture from Fortnite. That makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> so that's that's the that's the episode. Um, uh, Caesar, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Godfather um, is is a pleasure having you on. We will definitely have you on again. Alex, thank you again, as always, for taking the time. And uh, who do we have for our theme music this week? In honor of Stranger Things, I put out some feelers and we got Kate Bush remixing our theme music. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Talking smacks running up that hill. (laughs) Nice. I don't watch Stranger Things, so I don't get the reference. I'm sorry. (laughs) So with that, thank you again, everyone, for listening. Take care. Peace. Watch Star Trek. Ah, gosh, no.